Hey friends, welcome back to the journal feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and this is the only place to get spoon-fed the latest and greatest of emergency medicine. We're trying to keep you guys up on the literature, and that's why we're spoon-feeding it to you. All right, let's do a little teaser of everything that we covered from this past week. Now, we don't take all stab wounds to the operating room, and if that's the case, then how long should we wait before we know that we made the right call? Second, a lot of trauma patients get pan-scanned, but how good is a CT at seeing viscous injuries? Third, adults have an epiglottis, and it can get infected or inflamed, but what does that even look like? Fourth, I know this isn't an internal medicine podcast, but let's talk about hyponatremia anyways. And then fifth, a big reason pediatric sedation is scary is because of laryngospasm. How can we avoid that? Now, if you're hearing this right now, then you are not a Journal Feed subscriber. Come on, guys. So you're not receiving the full Journal Feed podcast. You're only receiving a portion of the past week's articles. Don't worry, I pick my favorites, but if you would like to get full access to both the podcast and the blog, then you'll have to become a member. All the details for that are at journalfeed.org. And remember that we never want money to be a barrier to patient care. So if you're having troubles affording a subscription, then please just reach out and we'll help you out. This is the audio version of the past week summaries, which this week were brought to you by Seth Walsh-Blackmore, Sam Parnell, Carmen Wolf, Megan Breed, Aaron Lacey, and Clay Smith. All right, here's the first article titled Prospective Evaluation of the Selective Non-Operative Management of Abdominal Stab Wounds, When Is It Safe to Discharge? Out of the Journal of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery. Back in the day, if you get stabbed, you were taking a surgery, it was simple as that. They would do an X-lap, and then they would run your whole bowel and check for perforations. If they find nothing, then unfortunately that's a surgery, which was essentially for no reason. And surgeries come with risks. Now that CTs are pretty easy to get in most places, and we do love those circles of truth, well, we should be able to see who doesn't need to have surgery. And so we can do a selective, non-operative approach. But who qualifies then? Now, that's kind of the problem. This was a single center study at a level one trauma center, which prospectively recruited 256 patients with abdominal stab wounds. The abdomen here was defined as the fifth intercostal space to the perineum, flank, or back. If they needed surgeries for some other reason, then they were excluded. 167 of these patients qualified for selective non-operative management. To qualify, you had to not have immediately worrisome signs, like unstable hemodynamics, diffuse peritonitis or evisceration, and the CT had to not find a hollow viscous injury or some other reason for surgery. All these patients were monitored with serial exams and labs. Only three patients, that's 2%, followed the selective non-operative approach. Two developed peritonitis at 10 and 20 hours, and the third was taken to OR at 32 hours for worsening leukocytosis with a known liver laceration on CT, but the laparotomy for that guy was negative. Leukocytosis is a bad reason to go for surgery anyways. The median observation period was 60 hours, with 11 being discharged before 24 hours. This approach was not new to these doctors or this center, which might help them perform better than someone doing it for, you know, new. The key to success is determining who initially needs to go to surgery, which I'd say they did pretty well in this study because there was only two negative laparotomies that were taken for surgery. Is observation for just 24 hours enough, though? Well, in this trial, it seems that it, it, it would be, assuming that all those who left before 24 hours didn't come back, that is. And if you're interested, the authors have a flow diagram that shows how you would make this decision, and that's up on the blog or it's in the original article. 
In a spoonful, abdominal stab wound patients who don't meet initial criteria for operative management could be observed for 24 hours, and here all patients requiring surgery were identified in that period. And then we jump over to the third article, titled High Risk and Low Prevalence Disease, Adult Epiglottitis, out of the American Journal of Emergency Medicine. Now you are, I have no doubt, familiar with pediatric epiglottitis. It's one of those super classic scary diagnoses that is drilled into the head of every medical student. It causes acute respiratory distress, strider, and classically that tripodic position. But since the H flu vaccination, it's actually quite rare in children. So now it's actually more common in adults, and it's a little bit different in adults. We're probably finding it more often now than ever before because flexible endoscopy is more common than ever before. And the fact that the mortality is gradually decreasing likely supports that we're finding more and more mild disease. All the same, a mortality rate of 1% still puts it on the radar as something potentially dangerous. And adults' causes are pretty much anything that can cause inflammation. Bacterial infections, viral, fungal, autoimmunity, thermal, or caustic injuries. This doesn't usually cause respiratory distress in adults, though, and that's because the adult airway is larger and the epiglottitis is relatively smaller. But 100% of these patients are going to have adenophagia, 85% will have dysphagia, and 74% will have voice changes, and drooling is also pretty common all presenting in kind of a sub-acute manner. It's not necessarily going to onset in a matter of minutes. Careful though, 90% of these patients are going to have a completely normal oropharyngeal exam, so don't be falsely reassured. You can use lateral neck x-rays to reveal the classic thumbprint or vellicular sign, but these should be rule-in tests and not rule-out tests. CT is much more sensitive, but give a bit of thought to laying these patients flat on their backs if you're worried about them. The gold standard is going to be direct visualization with a flexible scope, which, if necessary, you should be planning for intubation at the same time and discussing all of this with your ENT and anesthesia colleagues. Management is with antibiotics. You're going to want a third-generation cephalosporin on board, usually ceftriaxone, or an extended-spectrum penicillin. Cover for MRSA with vancomycin as well, that's going to be important. And if there is concern for pseudomonas or the patient is just immunocompromised, then you're going to want to switch to cefepime or piptazo. Adjuncts will include nebulized epinephrine to reduce swelling, and steroids are often given, but they're not really that well supported by the evidence. These patients should always go to the ICU. If that throat decides that it's going to start closing up, then they need immediate attention. In a spoonful, you don't just grow out of having an epiglottis, and no part of your body is immune to inflammation. So just keep an eye out for this in even your adult patients, and do not be falsely reassured by a normal oropharyngeal exam. Alright, let's do a wrap up. What did we learn today? First off, if you choose your patients right, then 24 hours may be enough time for you to wait to identify all abdominal stab wound patients who require the operating room. Third, adults also get epiglottitis. It's still dangerous, but it's not likely to present with the respiratory distress that you commonly associate with epiglottitis in children. Look out for adenophagia, dysphagia, and voice changes, and don't forget that it still can be deadly. Now, links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org, where the newsletter is going to be the best addition to the podcast to give you a bite-sized nugget of space repetition. If you feel like you're missing out, you'd like to hear more of this podcast, then come over and join us in the members feed. Our goal here is to provide better patient care through spoon feeding, and that's why we're trying to help you keep up with the latest research one spoonful at a time. Thank you.